So what could happen on Easter Sunday? Anything. Anything. I want to preach on what could happen because of Easter Sunday. If you have your Bible with you, please will you switch it on and go to Acts chapter 9. <laughs> Good sex. We had the privilege of going to Belgium for Christmas last year. My wife's father lives there. It is the most secular, atheistic country in the world, apparently. And that spirit is very prominent in my father-in-law's home. And I've shared some of the journey and trusting for his salvation one day. I'm actually wearing his shirt. He had some shirts he was throwing away. It's got a couple of holes missing, a few buttons. I thought, how ironic that I would preach in my father-in-law's shirt. Send him a photo, he'll die a thousand deaths. <laughs> and, he's, and you're wearing the, my Belgium socks. Beautiful. What could happen because of Easter Sunday? So we were in Belgium, and I'm trusting for my father-in-law, but God had other plans. I was in the kitchen with one of the cousins. His name is Vadim. And he's also, he's got that spirit of Belgium in him, atheist, broken, godless society, godless man. And out of the blue, like properly out of the blue, he turns to me and asks me this question. He says, is it true that you are a Christian? And he's looking as if I'm a unicorn, you know? <laughs> he has got absolutely no reference to anything eternal. He's never, ever been on a church property, let alone in a church or opened a Bible, or even heard about this Jesus. And here we are in the kitchen, Christmas Eve, and he's asking me if I'm a Christian. And then he asked me this. I said, yes, I, I am. <laughs> and then he asked me this. I think it's the most profound question he could ask. He asked me, is God good? What a question. And I had the most remarkable experience, the moment I'll never forget. Actually, I've thought about it probably every single day since it happened. Just sitting with this guy in my broken French and his broken English, trying to explain to him just how good God is. And it had such a prof profound effect on me that it's changed the way that I prep. It's changed the way I believe and how I preach. Because now I'm sitting in my office on Saturday, wondering how many Vadims will be here today. Or Vadettes. <laughs> absolutely no reference to the God of the Bible. You've heard about God of religion, but do you know the God of the Bible? And is he good? And one of the things that has also changed is my approach to the book of Acts because Luke, who wrote Acts, actually had a very similar question asked by a man named Theophilus. We don't know if he was saved or not, but Theophilus gave Luke the charge to go and find out, is this true, what I've heard? That God would send his son to die on the cross for me. Could God be that good? And so I'm going to steal a page from Luke's genius. What he did was he went and he found stories, testimonies. The undeniable evidence of a life that has come face to face with a resurrected Jesus. And I want to show you, Vadim, just how good God is. Just what could happen because of Easter Sunday. So we're going to jump straight in. And I want to look at that, that, uh, Acts 9. We're going to look at quite a few verses, but I want you to read with, as I want to pick up how the resurrected Christ influences our religion, our relationships, and our redemption. So verse 1 of chapter 9. Now Saul was still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now just a bit of a breather there. Uh, Saul later changes his name to Paul. If I make the mistake, it's the same guy. 
Um, I just know myself. Uh, He's breathing threats of murder. Later on in the Bible, it uses these words. He says, I was violently opposed, raging with fury, so obsessed with hunting down and destroying Christians, he would trace them to foreign cities to drag them away to prison. Verse two says, he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, that's what they were referred to as the Christians, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. We see later in Acts, his sole purpose was to drag them out of the synagogues, put them in prison so that they could be executed just like their savior. Husbands, wives, children's family would decimate them, drag them to Jerusalem and have them executed. Verse three, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. Get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and didn't eat or drink. Three days. I think he was just processing what God had done. For time's sake, God sends Ananias to him. And in verse 17, we see, Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hand on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Look at this. Immediately, he'd gone to Damascus to arrest people and have them executed. And instead, you want to know what happens because of Easter Sunday? Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. What can happen because of resurrection Easter Sunday? When all of what God did on the cross through Jesus and through raising him from the dead, is brought to bear on the religion in our lives, the relationships in our lives, and the need for redemption on our lives. Let's take a look firstly at the religion in our lives. He, he says in verse five there, he asks this question. He says, who are you, Lord? Now, I, I don't know if you know this, but Luke actually wrote Acts in Greek. And he uses a very small word, but a profound word when he uses what we translate as who are you, Lord. It's a simple Greek word, tis, T-I-S. But it means more than just who are you, it can be used as what are you, as well as to what end or how is it that you are Lord? How is it that you are Lord? It's used, and I quote, it's used only in the context of utter incomprehension. Now that should get our attention because we are talking about the Israelite elite here. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees and he's looking at Jesus going like, how is it? Utter incomprehension. To be a Pharisee meant that by around about the age of five, they started noticing you had a certain acumen towards scriptures and you began to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I don't know if you've ever even read those books in your life. They had to memorize it starting at age five. At age five, okay, I'm a bluff boy, so maybe it's slighted against me, but I couldn't read or write at age five. I could steal cars, yeah. <laughs> Break out of prison. 
But at age five, he was memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they had to know it off by heart before they could add any commentary or any thoughts on what was going on there. So if you say, listen, I've just got a question about, okay, what portion? Quote it for me, and now let's debate. At age five, by 13, they'd memorized the entire Old Testament. And they were required to not only know it, but to be able to argue it, and most importantly, to live it. So when we're talking about Saul here, when he's going, who are you, Lord? Utter incomprehension. We're talking about the guy who's exhibit A for holy living and does not know what to do with the risen Christ. Why? Because that is what happens when a life comes face to face with the resurrected Jesus. He destroys the religion in our lives. See, in that moment... Saul is realizing he is no better than Vadim. You know, unless you have come face to face with the resurrected Jesus, you still think there's value in religion. Rules, regulation, behavior, beliefs. I've got to get it right. Maybe, just maybe, I can appease God and crack heaven one day. But Saul came face to face with the resurrected Christ. And you know what? He writes to the Romans and he writes to the churches across Europe and he said, I count it all as loss. Actually, the word he uses is done. All my religious to-dos. And he says, instead, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. You want to know the requirements, Vadim? You want to know what it means to be a Christian? It's not a do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. It is simply calling on the name of the Lord. Amen. He has done it on the cross. He got the seal of the approval from his father and been raised from the dead. Amen. And that is the first thing we see God going after when you come face to face with the resurrected Christ. Amen. If there is religion fighting in your soul, you have to ask yourself, have you truly met the resurrected Christ? I don't know if you know the name John Bunyan. He's the guy that wrote Pilgrim's Progress. It's one of the biggest selling books. And it pretty much tells in uh, allegory, very much like Saul's journey, this encounter with God. He was carrying this burden, trying so hard to be set free by works and deeds and everything like that until he met Christ. And it's not only an allegory of uh, Saul's experience, but also John's experience, because reading his autobiography, he tells how he is guilt-ridden. He does not know how to do enough, and then he has an encounter with the resurrected Christ, just like Saul did, just like Martin Luther, who brought about the Reformation, just like I had, and I trust, just like you have. And he tells of how he was arrested. He comes face to face with Christ. He gets arrested for preaching the gospel. It's like, I can do no other but share what God has done for me. He gets arrested, thrown into prison. They say, we put you in prison for three months. We're going to come and ask you in three months' time if you're going to stop. If you stop, we'll let you go. Otherwise, we'll put you in for another three months. He ended up being in prison for 12 years. Every three months, are you going to stop preaching this resurrected Christ? And he's like, I can't do no other. Until eventually, apparently, the king just kicked him out. He said, this guy is turning our prison upside down. Let's get rid of him. But he writes this. If you want to know his encounter, he says, One day, I was passing through a field as a man riddled with guilt for my sin when I thought of a sentence. And that sentence was, Your righteousness is in heaven. Now, righteousness is essentially a right standing with God. Because we sin, we can't come into the presence of a holy God. 
We need to be made right with God. And so he says, this thought came to mind. Your righteousness is in heaven. And with the eyes of faith, I saw Christ, the resurrected Christ, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I suddenly realized, there is my righteousness. So wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could never say to me, where is your righteousness today? John would just say, just look to your right. He's right there. For it was always right before him. I saw that my good frame of heart, this was written in the 1600s, my good frame of heart couldn't make my righteousness better, nor a bad frame of heart make my righteousness worse. But my righteousness was Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we come face to face with the risen Christ, just like Saul, he decimates religion, turns it to dust. Because none of it counts. Jesus has done it all. Religion, relationships, and redemption. What about relationship? He says in verse three of Acts nine, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is Jesus leaning over from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I don't know about you, but Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting Christians. He didn't arrest Jesus. He was arresting Christians. But Jesus asked, why are you persecuting me? And I think somewhere in that three days when he's wrestling, like, what have I done? What is going on? I have utter incomprehension of the situation. Somewhere along the line, he started to realize that when you touch them, you're touching Jesus. And Tim Keller says the following. He says, this insight, Tim is a Bible scholar, and he says, this insight that when you touch the Christians, you touch Jesus, is so profound that it shaped all the rest of Saul's life, ministry, and theology. Why? Because Christianity is not about a set of beliefs and behaviors, rules and regulations, religion, but rather a relationship infinitely deeper and richer than that. See, Saul had no idea that Christianity was first and foremost a religion. Uh, Sorry, a relationship. Religion can't get you to that discovery. It has to be removed completely off the table before you get introduced to this relationship. And our problem, and I think especially in the city, our problem is that we stop with Good Friday. We understand Good Friday. I understand that Jesus had to die for me. But what do I do with the resurrection? What's so special about the resurrection? And this is why Rory time and time and time again quotes from John 14 I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because the ultimate goal of Christianity is not heaven. It's the Father. The ultimate destination of Christianity is not a place. It's a person. And in the 1800s, there was an incredible a revival. It was called the Great Awakening that swept across Europe into the UK and up to Ireland and Wales. The Great Awakening. Thousands got radically, radically saved. But here's the crazy thing. Thousands upon thousands were already in church. It was considered one of the most churched times in world history, the 18th century. Everyone had a Bible. Everyone went to church. I get my kerk. I get my hut. You could even book your own, own seat so people knew if you were there or not there. But then the preachers within the Great Awakening began to ask a single question. But have you met Jesus? And what they did was, I discovered that this is where home groups actually started. 
They said, let's gather outside of church in what they called societies in the home and let's make sure you've met this Jesus. And so they had a set of questions and I'm gonna ask you some of these questions because I wanna ask you, have you met Jesus? Not have you met his church? Have you met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus? Here's some of the interesting questions they would ask. How real has God been to you this week? If I stop there, how real has God been to you this week? Not an idea, not a principle, not a, oh, shucks, we've got to go to church on Sunday, otherwise we're not going to be invited to Easter lunch. How real has God been to you this week? Here's another. How clear and vivid is your assurance and certainty of God's forgiveness and fatherly love? You know, if you're saying, well, I, forgiveness maybe is love. I don't know. Maybe you've never met the resurrected Jesus. Are you having any particular seasons of delight in God? Do you really sense his presence in your life? Sense him loving you? Here's a few around scripture. They would ask, have you been finding scripture to be alive and active? Are you finding certain biblical promises extremely precious and encouraging? Which ones? Is it a relationship? Are you finding that God is challenging you or calling you to something through the word? In what ways? And then this is my favorite, best for last. Have you been freed to see and admit more of the ways you sin against God and others? Freed, hey? Have you failed? Have you been freed? Like a relationship that's, you know, something's got in between you and your wife and you need to apologize and make right. Have you been free to see and admit more of the ways you sin against God and others? But with that increasing sense of your sinfulness, is God's grace also becoming more glorious, moving, and comforting? If you have met the resurrected Jesus, this is what you see when you look inside. See God working to sanctify, to restore, to redeem. Not Okay, well, you dropped the ball there and you failed on that and you only tithed 9%. No, no, no. It's like, oh God, I want more of you. Get rid of whatever's in the way. And they asked these questions because they were going after relationship. And it's that very posture, pursuing the simple question, have you met Christ? They brought about the great awakening, one of the greatest revivals in human history. Because that's what happens when you come face to face with a resurrected Christ. And I ask you again, is this some of the evidence you see in your life? Because that's what I would show Vadim. So when you meet this Christ, he gets rid of all these areas that you fail and he completes it with the work on the cross. But then not only leaving you there, he comes to bring a relationship with your heavenly father to walk you through your life and ultimately to bring redemption into your life. Now, this is a big, chunking Bible word, redemption, but it is, I would have to say, I think it's my favorite English word in the Bible, in the dictionary, the word redemption. Because what redemption means, it's not just forgiveness. To be redeemed means to be free, but also to be released to, to be renewed, to be restored. Those names and faces and stories are stories of redemption. So because when you come face to face with the resurrected Christ, not only does he destroy the religion and the effort and the works and the performance in your life, 
but he brings you into relationship. And he doesn't just bring you into relationship so you can tick that off as, okay, I know my God, but so that he can walk you through and rescue and restore and redeem. And so we find here in Acts 9.19, we find Saul's story. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. In the synagogues. He is the Son of God. Remember where we started? Murderous threats, violently opposed, raging with fury, so obsessed with destroying Christians and Christianity that he would drag families to prison and have them executed. That's where he started. And then he came face to face with the resurrected Christ and the redemptive power of the raised Christ. What could happen because of Easter Sunday is that same Saul not only gets renamed as Paul, but he plants approximately 20 churches. He takes the gospel to the ends of the then known world. He is used to pen most of your New Testament. The same Saul. And I think many of us are here because of that redemptive work that God did in Saul's life. Revealed through scripture so that we ourselves could have an encounter with the resurrected Christ. Which means, if you have an encounter with a resurrected Christ, what could happen because of Easter Sunday? Even if those divorce papers have been signed, an encounter with a resurrected Christ can redeem that broken relationship, can bring a humility and a wisdom and a gentleness to your heart to fight for that marriage again. So that God could show off in your greatest pain or your greatest shame that he can be glorified by restoring and redeeming that marriage so that your children can see the power of the redemption of the risen Christ. So that they would have faith for their marriage one day. And so that your grandkids can be brought into a home that's healthy, full of the presence and the power of the resurrected Christ. That's what happens when you encounter resurrected Christ. That's what can happen because of Easter Sunday. Or maybe you went too far, you and your boyfriend fell pregnant, you're living together, and you think like, the amount of hoops I have to jump through before I can even go to church. Can't believe mom dragged me here. But one encounter with the resurrected Christ, I would introduce you to the Gouldies, Bevan and Dunay, who also had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. And we stopped a Sunday morning and they stood here and got married while their little Lexi watched on as God redeemed the brokenness in their past. That's what can happen if you encounter the resurrected Christ, Vadim. That's what can happen. Or maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm way past you there. I'm also from the bluff. I've got a prison past. There's no, certainly there's no hope for me. I would introduce you to Thomas, Giovanni, Sari. You know, I don't know if you know this, but if you've been coming to 3CR, our feasting was as a celebration of Sari's life. And I don't know if you know this, she didn't go to prison on a misdemeanor. She was guilty. 
she committed a felony and she sat on this she sat here on the stage sharing with Raw. We've got that photo in the, the elders' offices to remind us of the power of an encounter with the risen Christ. I don't know what your past is. I don't know what your pain is. I don't know what view you have of God. Maybe it's like Saul. You think, well, he demands his pound of flesh and I've failed him so many times it's not even worth it. Well, let me introduce you to the risen Christ, who decimates any need for any works or any performance or any rules or any regulations. He says, all you need, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ was risen from the dead, you'll be saved. And maybe, just maybe, you're sitting like Vadim going like, who is this God? Is he good? Let me introduce you to the risen Savior. He says, come, have a relationship with my Father, not rules and regulations. And if maybe you're like me, or like sorry, or like the Gouldies, you leave a trail of destruction, I still want to introduce you to the resurrected Christ. What could happen because of Easter Sunday? Anything can happen because of Easter Sunday. So I'm gonna pray in just a minute. And give you an opportunity to encounter this risen Christ. And there's nothing that needs to be done except confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead. Let's close our eyes. Lord, when I look across this hall, I'm sure there are many Vadims here, many who have no idea. They've heard that there's this God, but he's angry and grumpy. I pray, Lord God, that you would open eyes to see that you are good, that you have given your son for us, and that there's nothing required of us except to believe in the resurrected Christ. Wherever you're sitting, if you may be like Vadim, Maybe you're like Saul. Maybe all you've ever really known is church and performance and, and your failure. Or maybe you're like Vadim and there is absolutely no biblical reference to God in your heart. But you're saying, I want an encounter with this risen Christ. And wherever you're sitting, however it is comfortable to you, would you just open your hands or open your heart so I can pray with you. Father, my hands and my heart are open too. Because I know in me is Saul, alive and well, fighting for some religious performance to earn your favor. And this morning, I wanna cry out to you on behalf of everyone who's opened their hands to you. Lord Jesus, would you allow us to come face to face with you this Easter Sunday? Lord, you know every story, you know every cry, every pain, every bit of shame in this room just one encounter with you turned Saul around and I trust can do the same for us today so Lord we open our hands and we cry out to you risen Jesus would you forgive us our sins would you draw near to us would you allow us to encounter you today so that this anything 
that can happen on Resurrection Sunday can happen in our lives, can happen to our marriages, can happen to our shame, to our past, and can happen for our future. In Jesus' name.